0: All right, we are continuing the study of the life of David, Uh, and we left off last week as we saw God removing Saul as the king of Israel. And it was impressive as to how God did that and why God did that. We saw that there were two major mistakes that Saul committed, acts of major disobedience. First, he was told, to wait for Samuel and have Samuel do a ritualistic sacrifice before engaging in battle. Well, he didn't do that. He succumbed to the will of the people who didn't want to wait, and he was afraid that, it, that if he waited for Samuel to arrive, the people that were supporting him would leave and not be behind him. And so he violated a, a significant law of God. Only the priests were allowed to engage in the ritual sacrifice. Only the priests could prepare it. And he violated that law and did it. Uh, And so when Samuel arrived on the scene, precisely when Samuel said he would come, which was seven days later, uh, Samuel said to him, you have displeased God, you are disobedient to God, uh, and effectively you are treading on ice. The same God who raised you To this position appointed you as king you were no one but the king but God raised you up and allowed you to be king that same king that same God could remove you and now a short time later uh, Saul is told given a direct instruction by Samuel Uh, and we're continuing the study of of, uh, David Uh, and and Saul is given an instruction now by uh, Samuel To go and wipe out the Amalekites. Wipe them out. And when I say wipe them out, I mean wipe out every living thing. Every man, woman, child, animal. Wipe them out. Now uh, when we see this in our humanity, we say, how could God? How could God do this? And yet God, one of the things that we learn as Christians is that we don't understand everything that God does. We don't understand the mind of God. But what we do understand is that God is sovereign. He is the creator. And in essence, God is totally good and just. And so within the confines of God's justice, he had determined that the the Amalekites were evil to the core. Evil to the core. Uh, and this went back to when the Amalekites attacked the unarmed Jewish people, as they exited Egypt. And so here they were attacking the Hebrew people as they're becoming a nascent country, a nascent population, and they attacked them, and God remembers that. Uh, And God then instructs him, you are to wipe them out. And you know, God has done this before. God has done this before. Uh, And you saw what God did with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. When God determines that there's a level of evil that rises to a certain degree, God punches the card. You understand that? God punches the card. And let me tell you something, folks. Um, One of the things that I prayed for deeply on the night of election, and I know that there were millions upon millions of Christians praying, but I prayed all night long, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Your will, Father. Your will, but help us, Lord. Give us mercy. Give us a chance to, to understand and to be cognizant of the fact that we, that we have a responsibility to be better. And I believe God did grant mercy to us. you understand this? God can't. Don't think that you could be separated from the Amalekites. Don't think that God could not, if he so wanted, make America be insignificant. What, what, what makes you think that America will also always stand at a position of priority in the world? Who says that? There's no guarantee. In fact, if you look at the age of this country, which, what is it now? Coming into about uh, 270 years or so, and you look at this, you look at this, and you realize that when you study history, that's a blip in time. The Roman Empire was around for 1,000 years, all right? And you see that. So we haven't come, come anywhere near that kind of timeline yet. And so I, I truly, truly have asked God, really, God, please continue to have mercy on us as a people. Continue to have mercy, and we need to pray for our, our leaders. Please, pray for them. Pray for them, even if you didn't vote for them. Pray for them. We went through this for eight years, where people may have been in office that we might not have elected, but yet we had to pray we had to pray for them and so you see this you see the sovereignty of god the amalekites wiped them out well here's what happens as we talked about it well he decided why should i wipe them all out after all there's there's some valuable things there and so what does he do he decides to keep the prize livestock and then they decide to keep certain pieces of gold, the very valuable stuff. Uh, and so he violated the, the sovereign will of God. Um, and this is a lesson for you in your life. Uh, even though God has called you, even though you may be saved, that doesn't mean that you cannot violate the sovereign will of God. Uh, and when you do, there is a judgment. And here's, here was the judgment. Samuel comes to the camp he hears the sheep bleeding, and Samuel immediately says, What's that sound that I hear? Of course, he knew what the sound was, but he wanted to hear the, the admission from Saul's lips. Well, the people, the soldiers, they decided it would be good. You understand, God doesn't want to hear that garbage. Don't tell me you're weak. Don't tell me you've succumbed to the pressure of the people. I'm looking at you, and I expect you to be a man of God. You knew what the law was. You knew what the responsibility was. I gave you a direct commandment, and you failed to abide by it. You failed to abide by it. Uh, And so at that moment, Samuel delivers the verdict of God. This moment, the kingdom is taken away from you. This moment, the kingdom is taken away from you. That's how God acts. He'll lift you up. He'll raise you up as long as you humble yourself. You submit yourself to his will. But then there comes a time when you don't submit. All of a sudden, you get very full of yourself. You lift yourself up. You don't need to be humbled before God. You want to do your own thing. And then when you want to do your own thing, God pulls the curtain down. And so there it is. The kingdom is taken right away from him at that moment. Now, what you see then is when you read the verses... In, in chapter 15, all of a sudden it appears that Saul is repenting. Oh, pray, pray for me. Oh, help me. And, and what you see is God sees the heart. It was not a prayer of broken hearted repentance. It was not a prayer of submission. It was a prayer of sorrowing over losing the kingship. There's a very real difference. Uh, Because we know that when David fell to sin, David threw himself at the mercy of God and begged for forgiveness. Had a broken heart because he loved God. He loved God. The last thing in the world that David would want to do is to break God's heart. And yet you you see how God forgave David, even when David committed some of the most heinous sins that we could ever see. And so now, and now... Samuel has been instructed by God. He's been instructed by God, go and anoint a new king. I want you to anoint a new king. And so we'll start reading 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? And I want to stop with that. How long? How long will you mourn? Now what does this mean? This is a lesson for us. It means that even godly men, even people who are prophets, even those people who spoke with God, when they were given the instruction of God, it's over, it's done, there is still a physical attraction. Our mind doesn't want to let go. We can't really understand it. Why could, how could this happen? Why would God do this? I am brokenhearted. I was involved in this process instead of being obedient to God. And so you see this here. He's mourning for him instead of turning the page because God wanted the page turned. Uh, and so you see this even with Samuel, and it's very impressive to me as I, as I look at that. Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, notice at that point that God doesn't tell Samuel, by the way, I've I've chosen his youngest son, the kid that's out tending sheep. He doesn't tell him that because this is an act of submission and humility and obedience for Samuel. There's multiple lines going on here. You go. You go see Jesse. I'm going to tell you I'm going to anoint one of his sons. You just go. Uh, And you see how this is how God is, how God speaks. He doesn't necessarily give you the full picture. He doesn't paint it with specificity. He gives you an outline because he wants to see us be obedient, in faith, walking in faith. Lord, we understand. I don't understand everything, Father, but I'll, I'll, I'll obey what I know. And it's one of the marks of discipleship, of walking with Jesus, and that is this, that we serve the Lord even when we don't fully understand the theology. Do you get that? We serve God even when we don't fully understand the theology. We don't really understand everything. There are questions, yet we know that Jesus came and saved us. We know that he's the Son of God. And so as we hear and read the teachings of Jesus, even when they don't completely resonate or make sense with us, in our faith, we accept. And that is the essence of a a life walking with Christ. We walk even when we don't understand it fully. We trust in the Lord. And so... I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. I love this too. Here's a guy who is speaking directly with God. Got it? It's almost as if God has given him letters. Here, read this. Okay, and then Samuel writes back. And then here's here's another letter. In other words, here's a guy who is so wired in, he has a regular ongoing conversation with the creator of the universe. But now he's a little afraid. I know you told me to go, but when Saul finds out about it, he's going to kill me. Now, really, where's your faith? Where's your faith? You think if I told you to go and do this, that I would allow this to happen to you? And you know what? You ought to feel good when you read that. That ought to uplift you and affirm you. Because here's what it means. It means that even people who God has elevated to the very highest levels of service have doubt. Okay? Even those at the very highest levels of Christian service have doubt. Here's a guy, Samuel, one of the greatest prophets in the history of of Israel. He's going to anoint David. He will have great prophetic uh, utterances. And here he is saying, well, but if I do what you tell me to do, Saul is going to kill me. Instead of saying, Lord, I'll serve you. I'm not afraid. I'll go where you want me to go. Now, I'm not knocking Samuel uh, for that, but I'm, I'm, I believe it's appropriate to, to study that and to make it a point of reference for you because that means that we as men, in the men of God, are going to be subject to failure, lack of faith from time to time, and yet you don't see God throwing them away. You don't see God disposing of them. You see God finding a way to make them feel um, more at home. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. now, we're going to study how God chooses David, and we're going to read uh, this panoply of of Jesse's son sons coming before Samuel, and one after the other, after the other, will look like magnificent human beings, tall, strong, good looking in every way. The kind of people we would. Yes, I want them to be our CEO. This is the kind of guy I want to lead. Yes, this is what I want in a king. Kind of what they did with Saul, isn't it? Somebody who would be physically impressive, tall, muscular, in every possible way. And yet you're going to see God pick the lowliest of the sons, the guy who isn't even in the house, the guy who's not there when Jesse was told to bring his sons, the guy who was out tending sheep, uh, a position that's very lowly in the culture, shepherds were not highly regarded. They were lowly regarded. And yet, so you come to say to yourself, why would God pick a 15-year-old shepherd when he could have picked all these other people? And it's going to tell you everything that you need to know in your walk with God. How God picks. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many. Were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that in, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. How's that? God chooses the lowly. God chooses the despised. God chooses the submissive. And you see that here when you see how God will ultimately choose David, who was the lowliest of the brothers. Uh, And and you're going to see this from time and time again as God reaches out. The best example of that is Moses. When God brought Moses and had Moses go back to Pharaoh, he didn't just come out of the court of Pharaoh. Here he is, brilliantly educated powerful, articulate in every way. And what does God do? God allows Moses to be driven out. No. Spend 40 years, Moses. Spend 40 years. I wish I could do my best Edward G. Robinson. Yeah, Moses. Where's your God now? You know, spend 40 years out in the wilderness. Become a shepherd. How's that? Become a shepherd. Learn what it is to tend sheep. Learn what it is to have responsibility. And now now that you're 80, are you paying attention? (laughs) Now that you're 80, and you're not so strong in your own will, and your memory's not as good as it was before, and your ability to to articulate is not as good, and you know what? You even stutter. Now God says, perfect. Perfect. This is exactly what I want. It doesn't make sense. Who would do that? Who would pick an 80-year-old stutterer, shepherd? Now you can go and confront Pharaoh. Why? Because now you're my man. You're not your own man. You're my man. Are you picking up a situation here how God wants us to act? And if you are wondering why, if you're wondering why, and some reason why God may not be using you yet to the level that you want, my question to you is this. Is it about you or is it about God? Because if it's about you, if you're raising yourself up and there's pride in who you are and I have all these gifts and all these talents, you want to know something? God doesn't have a place for you yet. He doesn't have a place for you yet. It's only when you say, "Father, whatever you've given me, whatever you want me to do, I'll do." It doesn't matter. I'll stay at the back. I'll take the lowliest jobs. I'll do what you want me to do until you tell me there's some other job. Then God says, "Now you're ready to work. Now I can use you." And I mean this. I want to say this. I think this needs to be uh, articulated and resonate with you. If you're thinking, "You know, I want to have greater service for God," the question for you is, "Is it you?" Or is it God? Uh, And for many of us, it's still about us. It's still about us. I'm looking to, to, you know, I want a position. I want to be uh, articulated as a leader by the people. I want people to praise me. I'm going to tell you something. When you finally get right with God, you won't care if no one, if anyone ever praises you. You understand? You will not care about the praise of men. And I said this this past weekend, that God is going to put you in places and expect you to do things that you would not have done 10 years ago. Oh, gee, oh gosh, no. I can't do that. I, I'm going to repeat a story I told yesterday. Uh, on the day after Thanksgiving, I was walking down 3rd Street with my wife, and I came upon this very nice little dog, a woman about in her early 40s, walking the dog. And I played with the dog, and I looked up at the lady, and I said, this, this dog is a gift from God. Just said it like that. This dog is a gift from God. And she said to me, oh, yes, you have no idea. I've suffered terribly. You know, she says, I have mental issues. I'm I'm bipolar, and my parents are older, and they're mean to me. They say terribly mean things to me, and even though I want to take care of them, and and I love them, and in my body now, I have other issues. And here this this woman, who, who is unloved, who is suffering, is on the streets of 3rd Street in Naples, walking her dog, 8 o'clock in the morning, standing right in front of St. Anne's Roman Catholic Church. That's where this took place, right there. And so, as I'm standing there, as I'm standing there, I looked at her and I said, Would you like me to pray for you? Now, let me tell you something. You didn't know the John Garippa of 15 years ago. Somebody up in the front row said, thank goodness. And I would agree with that. But the John Garippa of 15 years ago would never stop and say, can I pray for you? Why? Because John Garippa didn't want to make himself look like a flake. Because the John Garippa, 15 years ago, cared about what other people said about him. Was concerned about the opinions of others. Oh, don't go doing things like that. Stopping on the street and praying for for people. People are going to think you're a zealot. But here's the thing. You understand something. When you get close to God, when you are walking with God, when you submit to God, and God puts those opportunities in front of you, you stop and you do what God wants. And I stopped And I prayed for this lady. And then Linda gave her all the the websites, what we do. I imagine that we're at some point going to hear from this lady. I wouldn't be surprised if she comes in to to the BLGs that we're teaching. I just wouldn't wouldn't be surprised. I just felt that God wanted her to know that he cared about her, that he loved her. That's the role of a Christian. That's what God does. And so you see that here. God is saying to Samuel, don't look at the way men are. I'm not interested in the way men are. I pick the lowly. I pick the despised. I pick the people who are not elevated. And that's a lesson to us, that when you're elevated, that when you're rising high, God's not going to use you. Really. It's when you bow your head, and you say, God, how do you want me to act for you? Uh, It's about you, God. It's not about me, that God then will use you. And you see that. And this is a very, very powerful story. This story is more about how God thinks than it is about David getting anointed. Yes, David gets anointed, but the real point of this story, the real lesson here is how how the heart of God looks and and how God acts. And so turning back to 1 Samuel 16, you look now, uh, verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked him, do you come in peace? How do you like that statement? The elders of the town are trembling because the man of God has walked in. What does that mean? It means that there are probably some guilty consciences, wouldn't you say? Ooh, yikes. Oh, it's a problem. You understand? It's a problem. Uh, and, And you see this. This is the elders of the town. It's not a good thing not a good thing you know the prophets coming to town that usually means something bad some judgments coming down from god somebody's going to be paying the price and you see that here And, and again the lesson is the lesson is that we have to be right with god we submit to god we open our hearts to god uh and god will speak to us i mean it's a power powerful lesson on so many fronts uh and so did you come in peace samuel replied yes in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed standing here before the Lord. And now Eliab was the oldest son. He must have been a magnificent human being, tall, muscular, good-looking, Well-spoken. Exactly how we would choose. There's the guy. He's the king. We don't need to go any further. I got good instincts. Now, I'm going to extrapolate on this. I'm going to extrapolate on this and, and give you the point of view of how God expects us to live our lives, including your business. How many of us In life, in partnerships, in our marriages, in our relationships, in the decisions of our life, rely totally on our own will. Yes, I'm smart. Yes, I see this woman. Yes, she's attractive. Yes, the chemistry is good. Yes, I want her. This is a person I make as a lifelong partner. Do we ask for God's guidance? No. This is about me. It's about me. I'm a smart person. I know what I'm doing. How about in business? How about in business? Did you stop and ask God, what's your will for me? Do I take this step, Father? Do I I form this partnership? What's your will? Or do we say, I'm a smart guy. I'm a smart guy. Don't tell me how to run my business. I'll go to church on Sunday and I'll worship on Sunday but don't tell me the other six days. I'm perfectly capable of making the decisions. Well how about the fact that the prophet of God was not capable? The prophet of God was not capable because he would have made a mistake had he relied solely on himself. And honestly, I've, I've, this is God is speaking to my heart even as I'm saying this right now. This is a lesson for me, John. Don't make determinations on your own without first asking me. All right? Don't make determinations and judgments on your own. Whatever it is, whether it's with your wife or your children or your business or your friends or whatever it is or ministry. How's that? Or ministry. You know, I I hear stories of people saying, I I believe God wants me to to, uh, go to Africa. Uh, And I'm going to go down. I'm going to buy a ticket to the boat. I'm going to go to Africa. And all I can say is, if you go to Africa without asking for the will of God, is this your will, then you know what? Look out, Africa. Look out, Africa. Because the kingdom of God's work could be set back. Could be set back. Because you haven't bowed in submission to God. What a story this is. Oh, here's the guy. Look at him. He looks good. Boy, he'll be a great model. The other nations will look at us and say, wow, look at your king. Look how strong he is. How masculine. Yeah, he's the wrong guy. And so many of us have done this and made these these errors in our lives. And for those of us now at this age, well, maybe, you know, we're well beyond marriage, I would say. But our kids aren't our kids aren't and you you want to really impose this theology on your kids you want them to pray lord please get open my open the doors lord mm-hmm. lead me to where you want me to go i know you'll speak to me i know i'll have patience i'll wait on you god and when you wait on god god ultimately will answer and so you see this story here Eliab not the guy verse 7 but the lord said to Samuel Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. There it is, folks. There's the lesson for today. There's the lesson for today. Underline it. God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the externalities. He doesn't look at the affluence. He doesn't look at the charisma. He doesn't look at the personality. He doesn't look at the intellect. He doesn't look at a hundred things that all of us here in this room would rate as important. God looks at your heart. And at your heart, do you love God? Do you love him? Is there a love for God that sits there and burns for him? Uh, And you see that in this story, how God clearly indicates, how God clearly indicates that he's not interested in the externals. He's not interested. In fact, he's interested looking solely, solely at the heart. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 1. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. And as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Underline that. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and it will expose the motive of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Don't even make judgments about yourself. Don't even make these judgments about yourself. God is telling you, I see the heart. I see the heart. I look at it. I see a person. And I see where their heart is. I see who loves me. Who humbles himself. Who submits. Who cares for me. Because you know what? Sometimes you don't know who the pride and arrogant people are. The prideful and arrogance. You don't know. There was a Greek philosopher who used to go around dressed in rags, and I forget which one this was. He would be dressed in rags, and he would meet another philosopher who would be dressed in in finery. Uh, And one day, the the philosopher who was dressed in rags looked at the well-dressed man and said, you, sir, are full of arrogance and pride. Look, look at your cloaks. And the well-dressed Philosopher said, my friend, there is more pride and arrogance in your rags than there is in my clothes. And isn't that true for a lot of people? Only God sees the heart. You understand? Only God sees the heart. Even those people who appear, well, they're they're humble and lowly, and yet you understand that's not the case. God sees our heart. And you see this here in the way God ultimately determines who he will choose as king. And so continuing on with 1 Samuel. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, number two son, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? I love that. Seven guys come in, seven physical specimens, all looking good. Each one of them probably would be chosen by us. No, 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 no. What's God doing? What's God doing? Is this it? It's funny. Guy has seven sons and more to come? Where is it? Anybody left? What is it? Well, and then you look at the answer. There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending sheep. Let's understand what that means. Let me expand that sentence. Seems like a simple sentence. There's still the youngest, but he is tending sheep. What that means is, I got one left out in the pasture, but it couldn't possibly be him. He's a shepherd. He's a kid. You don't want to see him. He has none of the outward accoutrements, characteristics of what you would want as a king. There's no way. That's, all that is implicit in that few words. That He's tending sheep. The lowliest job. Really? That's just what I want, says God. That's just what he wants. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Boy, the tension in that room must have been amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, seriously, can you imagine the tension in that room as the seven older brothers now wait for the shepherd, the 15-year-old shepherd to come in? So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Man, meaning he was a kid. He was a kid. He probably didn't even shave yet. Ruddy, fair-complected, and, and just, a, just a kid. But he was but a good-looking kid. He was handsome. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, In the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Let's understand what this is saying, and I want to make sure I theologically present this to you in the correct way. In the Old Testament, when God would pick a leader, when someone was appointed uh, as a leader, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would come Upon that person all right this is before pentecost let's understand it it was not a u- it was not a universal uh receipt by the church uh, by everyone it was for the leaders of the country those who were being used by god in some great prophetic work david is anointed and as david is anointed the spirit of god comes upon him the spirit of god he's anointed God walks with him. God will be with him. And yet God will wait 15 years from that point before David will be king. 15 years. And let me tell you, hard years. Not easy years. Hard years. Uh, and, And so you 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 see how even when God chooses, when God anoints, when God decides you are the man for a particular job, when God says, "I want to use you," it may not come around right away, and God expects you to wait and be patient to let him speak to your heart, or possibly to sand you down. Do you think that David became a better king because for fifteen years God put him? On the sideline? Let me assure you, yes. Do you think Moses became a better leader for his people because God made him wait 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd? Let me assure you, yes. Do you think Abraham understood the will of God because God made him wait more than 20 years for the child of his promise? Yes. Because what it does is God builds character in our lives. We are not ready to be used by God. There's issues in our lives. There's a lot of self in our lives. And God knows this. And so God says, you are the king. You are the man. You have the heart. But not yet. Not yet. And, and that's the message for us today. Not yet. Not yet. God is working with you. God is calling you. God is going to use you. And I'm convinced that many of you will be used for great Great efforts for the kingdom of God. And maybe you haven't seen it yet, but be patient. God is working. Uh, But here's the thing. You can't steer a car unless it's moving. Meaning what? Meaning what? It means this. It means even while you're waiting, even as the 15 years goes by, even as the 20 years goes by for Abraham, or as the 40 years goes by for Moses, you don't just sit on a couch waiting for the meteor to come through the ceiling and tell me, all right, here's your assignment. You understand? You work. You step out. You do what God wants you in small ways, in small things, and God anoints that and blesses that and calls it to, to greater success. And so you, you, see, you see this story here, uh, and, and it's amazing. And In fact, the next couple of verses... Are even more, uh, just as poignant. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. What does that mean? It means just as God took his spirit and blessed David as the king, God removed that blessing from Saul. God's spirit was taken from Saul, and now Saul became tormented. All right? He became tormented, um, and we're going to read more about that uh, next week, about how, what happened with Saul. Now, what does that mean? It means that when God selects a leader in the Old Testament times, and we see that, that the spirit of God did not mean it would rest with you perennially, but that that spirit could be taken away from you. Uh, and what effectively that was, it was a hedge of protection around Saul, all right? All that happens here is that Saul's mind and character went where Saul wanted it to go. He had these evil thoughts all along. His heart was not right with God. He did not humble himself to God. He was not obedient to God. And it's almost as if God says, if that's what you want, you want to live your life that way, you want to go in that direction, fine. Go. I'll take the spirit away. I'll take the protection away. And so you see that coming about. Uh, And so... As we look at this story, as I try to wrap it up uh, and understand uh, uh, why God chose David, what was it about David that God saw? Effectively, what you see is God saw the heart and the faithfulness, the faithfulness of this man. That despite the fact that he would fall, he would be tempted, he would do some bad things, in the end, he would be faithful to God. He would come back to God in balance submission and humility. Uh, and faithfulness is a difficult characteristic for us as human beings to evaluate. Faithfulness is difficult to evaluate. God can evaluate it. It's very difficult for mankind to evaluate it. Um, and uh, you, you see this, and Paul, in that, that section that we read in Corinthians, that's why that section was so important, because Paul indicates that humanity cannot determine faithfulness, that humanity cannot make proper judgments as the way God judges, and that, in fact, unless we give it up to God, rely on God to make the decisions of our lives, we're doomed to failure, Because all these decisions that we ultimately make on our own, without God, will be losers. Losers. You are men of God. You are men of God. When I see you here, I see people that love God, want to serve God, want to be closer to God, want to be used by God. And what I've given you today is a prescription of how God looks at your heart. And if you find today that there are elements in your heart that are not right with God, you get on your knees and you ask God, help you. You ask God to lift you up. You ask God to convict you, and God will. Because if you come to God with the kind of heart that says, Lord, I submit to you. Lord, clean out this garbage in my life. Lord, I am sorry that I've broken your heart. Lord, help me to use your conclusions. Help me to think the way you want me to think. Help me to wait on you, God, instead of reacting on my own. That way, Lord, help me to walk within your walk. And when you do this, when you ask God with a a broken heart, with a penitent heart, God will raise you up. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words. I thank you for this lesson and how we've seen David, Lord, a, a person who would never be picked by man, this poor shepherd. And yet, God, you looked at his heart. And so we recognize that there is hope for us. And that, Lord, we ask you that if there is pride or arrogance in our life, that take it away from us. Help us to understand that whatever we are, whatever we hold, whatever gifts we have, it is because of you. You have given it to us. They're not ours. You've loaned them to us. And make us mindful of that, Lord, as we get closer and closer to the holiday season. Lord, protect our men. Be with them this week and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.